Hey, this is Pastor Ali, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date with Bold Church, if you want to find out when our next gathering is or how to live stream an event, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Come on, is anyone excited for church today? Come on. If we have not met, my name is Ali and my beautiful wife and I, we started this place called Bold five years ago with a dream. We wanted to create a place where not only Christians could grow in their faith, but listen, unchurched people can come explore. If you're new to church, welcome. You are VIP at Bold. And uh, we are in a collection of talks. I hope you grabbed one of these free journals. We're in the book of Revelations. Wow, some people are already leaving right now as soon as we as I mentioned that. Just kidding. I just want to acknowledge it's a crazy book. Makes people feel anxious and nervous. I just want to lean into that. We picked this book on purpose because we're going to study the first three chapters, make it super practical for you. Some of you are super spiro. If you've been in here for any amount of time, you're super spiritual. And in you, your favorite book is the book of Revelations. We're, we're praying for you, actually. Uh, but the title of today's message is simply this. Maybe some of you who are or a little bit older, you, you know this song. The title of today's message is this, you've lost that love and feeling. Come on now, we're actually going to sing it together today. Not right now, just wait. And if, if when you hear my voice, don't leave the church, okay? But just turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, have you lost it? Now turn to the other neighbor that you forsaked and abandoned and say, neighbor, I didn't forget about you. Did you lose it? Let's pray because God's got to speak to us this morning. God, thank you so much, Lord, that your word is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we didn't just come to do karaoke. We didn't just come for ice cream. We came to worship you, Jesus. We may have walked in one way, Lord, but we may, we're going to walk out another way. We want to talk more like you, look more like you, love more like you. And Jesus, this tribe, come on, everybody, if you believe that, everyone said, Amen. everybody said, Anytime we do a a collection of talks in our church, there are various ways in which we communicate. We'll do felt needs. Like a couple months ago, we did a sermon series or collection of talks around mental health. People loved it. We'll do topics, like a topical series around the Holy Spirit. Twice a year, we will do a book of the Bible because we just want to build our life on the foundation of God's word. Amen. There's a lot of doctrine out there, a lot of TikTok evangelists and, and teachers out there trying to tell us what to believe. And God's word is eternal and unchanging. And we just want to build our life on it. And this is why I want to encourage you to bring this book every week for the next seven weeks, because it's going to transform your life. And anytime you study a book of the Bible that you've, you're not familiar with, I want to give you three principles that will help you interpret, analyze, and then apply that word to your life. Those three are context, context, and context. You got to understand who the author is, who the audience is, what's the time period. You got to understand this is the apostle John writing this. He spent three years with Jesus. This is not only the the longest book of the New Testament, it's also the last book that was written in the New Testament, written 97 AD. So 60 years after Jesus died, all the other 11 apostles have been either one committed suicide, the other 11, 10 were, were martyred and killed. Only the apostle John is alive and he is under intense persecution. And every time I use the word persecution, American Christians are like, what does that mean? Did the Wi-Fi go out? Does someone give me a bad Yelp review? No, 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 this is different. Like they cut you in half. They feed you to lions, like real persecution. And it's just different. I, I'm, I, I know America is not perfect, but anybody grateful that we can worship Jesus without being persecuted here? Come on. It's going to change though. So get ready. And uh, you got to understand, in our country, the supreme leader is uh, the president. In Rome, the supreme leader is what's called the Caesar. 
And he's, his name is Domitian. And this guy is crazy. He's intensified the persecution against Christianity. And he's made a rule that anytime you go into any temple, whether it's the Roman temple or the, the, the Jewish temple or the, the Christian temple, you need to first bend the knee to, to Caesar as God, and then you can go worship your God. Well, of course, John the apostle ain't going to do that. I only got one king. I'm only going to worship him. And so now he's been exiled. He's on basically the, old, the New Testament version of Alcatraz. It's all by himself. He's on a, it's on a query. And he's writing this letter to a, not only is he in persecution, he's writing to a church that's under persecution. And he writes this letter to seven churches to encourage them because anytime you're under persecution, sometimes you forget who God is. And I want to read you these initial verses because it's so powerful. It, this is Revelations 1 verse 1. Through three, It says, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must take place, what soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is a prophecy that Jesus is giving John. John's writing it down and then he's giving it to us. Blessed, someone say blessed, blessed. is the one who reads out loud the words of this prophecy. And blessed, someone say blessed. It was a double blessing for you. Blessed are those who not only hear and take to heart, which means obey what is written because the time is near. Often whenever I use the word prophecy, people think it's like fortune telling. Like, is this a fortune cookie that Jesus is going to tell me tomorrow what's going to happen? No, no, no. Oftentimes the word prophecy means it's a now word. God wants to speak to something that you're experiencing, not tomorrow, but today. And I find it so interesting that no other letter in the New Testament begins, if you read this book, you're blessed. And the reason why I say this is because this is probably the number one book that Christians avoid. Can we just be honest? I've, in 10 years, I've had like two people say, I'm studying the book of Revelations. And the one time they do, they have a chart. It's a horoscope. They're going to tell me when Jesus is coming back. It's like, no one ever does this. And yet Jesus says, if you read this book, you're blessed. And we avoid it. And sometimes it's hard. Let's just be honest and acknowledge the elephant in the room. This book is hard. It's like the biblical version of Fantasia, the Disney movie. It's like this vivid imagery. There's animals dancing around. It's like, what is going on? And I just want to encourage you, you're not the only one who thinks it's weird. Jerome, the, one of the early church fathers, says the book of Revelation is so full of words and actions that it is difficult to understand what it meant. For there are obscure prophecies hidden among obscure words, and the whole book is filled with obscure sayings and riddles. I'm thankful that I'm not the only idiot who doesn't know what's going on. And not only that, Charles Spurgeon said this, there is no other part of scripture where there is more, that is more, that is difficult to understand than the book of Revelations. I think it's encouraging when our fathers of the faith, the heroes of the faith are saying, bro, this book is hard. So there's one category of people, you avoid this book, but then there's another category of people. You are super spiritual. This is like your Christian version of a horoscope. You have a wall in your house with every event in the newspaper pointing to some verse in the book of Revelations. You know, and no one else knows, you know when Jesus is coming back and you need the mic because you need to tell everyone. And because you're so weird, we love you. You're so weird. We don't even want to read this book because if we, if we study it, we're going to become like you and we don't want that. I just want to acknowledge the weirdness of this book, but there's still a blessing. Amen. Which is why we're just only going to study the first three chapters because it's a blessing. Jesus is going to speak to these churches that are being persecuted. And although the Bible was not written to us, it is for us. 
And there's something that God wants to do. God, God something wants to transform and give us. And I, for those of you that want to go deeper in your study, I'm going to give you three resources that will help you. The first one is by a guy named David Campbell. He's a professor at Theosu. We are all about Theosu. For those of you that come, we, we invite Nathan Finocchio, who's the founder, every year he comes because we just think it's a Pentecostal seminary that's grounded in theology. We need that. Another guy, uh, the next book is a guy named Chris Palmer. He's the dean of this theology. I think you see a theme. And then the third book, not only do David Campbell, but Chris Palmer both say this is the gold standard of Revelation, G.K. Beale. So for those of you who want to nerd out a little bit on the book of Revelations, read this. And let me just explain why the book of Revelation is so hard. See, often there's different literary styles. There's narrative, which is like story. There's like songs and poems, which is the Psalms. Then there's like wise sayings or riddles, which is the book of Proverbs. And then there's what's called eyewitness accounts, which are the gospels. The book of Revelations is different than every other category. It's called apocalyptic. And some of you are like, is that the end of the world? No, no, it just means uncovering or the unveiling. And oftentimes, it, you got to understand, imagery is used, pictures are used, animals are used. And often it, it's meant to like inspire something in you. The, the great theologian Eugene Peterson said this, I read revelations not to get new information, but to revive my imagination. See, there's nothing new in the book of Revelation. He's just saying the same thing, but just with a different way of saying it. And I think it's so important that you realize the context. There is nothing new in the book of Revelation. You got to understand that oftentimes the author would write it and then he'd give it to someone and they would read. So when someone read the book of Galatians or read the book of Ephesians, uh, someone would read that book to the New Testament, to, to that church. The New Testament church read the book of Revelations. If they're reading it, we need to read it. If we're avoiding this book, then that means there's some growth in us that we're avoiding. And let me tell you why that's so important. Because A.W. Tozer says it like this, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. See, oftentimes when obstacles come, when persecution comes, when suffering comes, you project onto God your pain, your lack, and your inability to overcome that situation. And God, instead of becoming bigger, becomes smaller. Let me illustrate that to you. Anyone ever see this picture on the screen before? This is what I call gentle Jesus. He's got blue eyes for some reason. He's got conditioner's hair. Looks like the wind is blowing a little bit. And for some reason, he's holding a dirty animal on his shoulders and his shirt is totally white. I don't know how that's possible. This is what I call gentle Jesus. Jesus has a bunch of metaphors in the New Testament that he describes himself. And one of them is he's a shepherd. I just think Jesus, if you study the animals like sheep, Jesus is a master marketer. Why? Because Jesus are stupid animals. Instead of calling you and me stupid, he says, I'm, I'm going to shepherd you little ones. But this is gentle Jesus. And he's like, oh my gosh, I love you guys. It's like this picture of like, oh my gosh, he's going to take care of me. He's going to provide for me. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's one of the most famous Psalms. But the heart of God is explained through this. That like, if you read the book of uh, Luke chapter 15, it's God communicates his heart towards his people. That even if God has a hundred sheep, if one runs away, he's going to shift his focus from the 99 to go after the one. If you're new to church, the focus is not on the people that call this place home. The focus is on you. He wants to know you. He wants a relationship with you. Amen? But it gets even deeper. Gentle Jesus, the one, this is often the, the, the only image of God we have. He's skipping through fields, eating rainbows, farting butterflies. He's like super nice. You gotta understand, sheep are not only stupid, but they're stubborn. And when they run away, they're gonna put themselves in harm's way. The reason why Jesus is carrying this lamb, 
Listen, I didn't realize it until 10 years after I became a Christian because he broke the legs of the, the animal. Because the animal's so stubborn, it keeps running away. Listen, I wrote down like this. Sometimes God has to, before God bless you, he has to break you. He, he's got he's to break pride off your life, break some religious spirit on your life, break wrong mindsets. Before he can bless you, he, he has to break you. And often what I find is when we are in pain, when we're in suffering, we think we can't overcome the situation, so then we project that onto God. I say like this, I can't, therefore God can't. I, I can't pay these bills. I, I don't know how to get a promotion. Therefore, God can't provide. My body's sick. I don't know what to do. I've prayed. Therefore, God can't heal me. God, I, I, I bring my spouse every week to church. I pray. He's not changing. Then God can't resurrect my marriage. Because I can't, we project onto God. And what I want to tell you this morning is your image of God is too small. And John is speaking to a church. He's like, listen, just because I'm on the island of Patmos, just because I'm in prison, doesn't mean my God is small and not in control. Rome is not in control. And he wants to give every Christian who will go through suffering, who will go through persecution. Listen, your gentle Jesus vision is good, but it's not enough. Watch this vision that the apostle Paul gives to the New Testament church. Revelations 1 verse 9. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come. The Almighty. I, John, this is John the Apostle writing, your brother and companion in suffering. Someone say suffering. The entire book of Revelations is trying to give you a picture of not of gentle Jesus, of glorious Jesus. Because you need a, pic a bigger picture of God when the problems in your life are big. Suffering in the kingdom and patient endurance. Someone say patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, on Sunday, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Those are prophetic pictures of the church. And among the lampstands was the one like the son of man dressed in a robe. You know why he's wearing a robe? Because he's not just God. He's not just the king of kings. He's the suffering priest who dies on our behalf. Down on his feet and with a golden sash. Some of us wear Hermes belts. Jesus wears a golden sash. On his head, on, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the, the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars, which are the pastors of the church. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. That kind of breaks your pacifist Jesus image. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I am shocked that John is saying this. There is no one in human history that spent more time with Jesus than John. These two are best friends. There is a picture of the, the Last Supper where John is literally resting his head on the shoulder of Jesus. No one else had that intimacy with Jesus. Imagine Jesus being your best friend, and when you see him in his real glory, you fall down and pretend you're dead. Some of you, your image of God is too small. You, you think he's like this passive, meek, he's a warrior king. And he's bigger than any marriage problem, any, any problems you have with your kids or any problem you have in your finances. Just because you can't doesn't mean God can't. 
Then, someone say then. It's a great preacher word. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, but the tomb is empty and there's news to tell. And now I look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades right there for what you have seen because he wants us to know this vision. What is now, what is what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, basically the pastors. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. You need a picture of glorious Jesus. I wrote it down like this. When G, the apostle Paul, the apostle John wants, no matter what we're facing in life, we need to be reminded that we serve a God who has faced everything we've faced, that he has conquered it all, that greater is he that is in us, that is in the world. And John is saying, make no mistake about it. Even though I'm in a prison, even though I'm on an island of Patmos, basically the Old Testament version of Alcatraz, just because it seems like Rome is in control, your God's in control. Don't look to the government. Doesn't matter what's happening in anywhere in the world. Your God is in control. You need to get a bigger vision of just gentle. It's glorious, Jesus. Amen. Anybody think that our God is the King of Kings? Come on. That was my introduction. You guys ready for the word? Come on. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 says this To the angel in the church of Ephesus, someone say Ephesus. Right, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people or Laker fans. That's just my translation, I'm sorry. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered. Someone say persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary yet someone say yet it's about to rebuke you get ready i hold this against you you have forsaken the love you had at first you've lost that love and feeling consider how far you have fallen repent and do the things you did at first if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. He's literally saying every church is a candle. He's basically going to lick his fingers and sh- and kill the church. That's how important this is to Jesus. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit of the says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You need to understand this, that this is not some like magical fantasy fake. The church of Ephesians is a, or Ephesus is a real church. Look at this map with me on the screen. This is a real place. There are seven churches in the, in the, in the, in the New Testament. This is basically uh, the, like the Southern Turkey near uh, the Middle East. Uh, these are real churches led by real people and led by real pastors. And if you look at the, the, the church of Ephesus, it's the closest city to the water. And this is important because you need to understand this is like a major hub of trade. This is one of the wealthiest, one of the busiest cities in the world. It's like the, like the modern day Silicon Valley. Like the world is going to Ephesus in the same way that 50% of the Bay Area is foreign born. If you want to reach the world, you don't even need to go to another country. You just evangelize here and you will reach the world. But not only is it a, a financial hub, you understand, it's the hub of worship of a false god named Diana. It's actually the temple of Diana is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And it, maybe Zeus gets all the, the love, but everyone worshiped her. Same way in the Catholic church, if you go to like, the, you see the statue of Mary and Jesus and Mary, everyone touches Mary's feet. 
And then Jesus, if you're like pristine, no one goes to him. In the Roman world, the same thing. Everyone knows who Zeus is, but no one goes to him. Everyone goes to Diana. Literally, the whole world is coming to Ephesus to worship this false god. And yet, there's the little engine that could. There's this little tiny church that's just growing. And Domitian, who's the, the Roman Caesar, he has removed all three senior pastors. Paul planted this church. And he had to leave because of persecution. Timothy then pastors the church. And this is the, the first megachurch outside of Jerusalem. They kill him. And then the apostle John becomes the pastor of the church. And then they throw him in prison. And you think, I'm going to remove every senior pastor of the church and the church will die. It keeps growing. I want to tell you, this little, this little church called Bull Church, COVID couldn't kill it. No AC at five o'clock couldn't kill it. It does not, it does not, the government can't kill this church. Why? I wrote down like this. You want to write this down. Churches grow by walking through persecution and suffering. The world doesn't understand this. Adversity brings revival. You, you, need, you need to see that. And what's so crazy about this church is Jesus is about to rebuke them. And Jesus' mom went to this church. Think how hard it would be to be the senior pastor of that, of that church. Like it's awesome and scary at the same time. It's awesome because you like, get wisdom. Like, what was Jesus really like? And then every Christmas, she's eyeing you, talking about the Virgin Mary. Like, she's eyeing you. Don't make any jokes. I'm looking at you. Like, I think how weird that would be, right? And what's crazy about this church is uh, not only was it led by John, it's now has new leadership, and yet it's still growing. It's still thriving. And Jesus wants to praise them. For every mom in this room raising children, every manager who has a team, any CEO or small business leader, I want to give you this leadership principle that was first in the Bible before any Harvard Business Review book. So this, connect before you correct. Before you cor correct anyone, before you rebuke them, tell them a few positive things. Scientists actually have discovered this. For every one negative, you got to say three positive things first. Ladies, before you cut your husband, at least tell him he dresses nicely lie. No, I'm just kidding. But you got to correct, connect before you correct. And Jesus wants to praise this church for their hard work. He's like, I see what you're doing. You work hard. You labor. Listen, we, we don't have a Mary Poppins on this team that comes in like abracadabra and like makes everything like set up. We have what's called a dream team. Anybody part of the dream team? <laughs> Teamwork. We say this all the time. Teamwork makes the dream work. And the early church, they labored hard. They worked hard. In the same way that this church works hard. We used to have two 25-foot trailers. We would show up and wake up before the devil was even away. Come on. We'd, we'd get to the parking lot at 6.30 just so we can show up on, at Santana Row at 7 a.m. And for the next three hours, the reason why we did church at 11, because we needed three hours to set up. We needed like, Ethan and I would go to the bathroom and literally wipe the sweat off of us because we were working so hard. That's why Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And he's praising this church for their hard work. And then he continues to say, not only is your hard work awesome, he, he goes, he says this work, you have persevered. Someone say persevered. It's this Greek word, hupomone. Hupomone. Some of you need to get a tattoo of hupomone instead of like a, a cat on your neck. Get one of these. Hupomone is this Greek word, which means triumphant fortitude. It's this very, it's, sometimes we think of patience or perseverance. We think it's like this active, I'm just waiting on God. I'm just going to look at my clock until Jesus. No, no, this is an active verb. I'm going to work. I'm going to triumphantly 
I'm going to do everything I can. I'm not going to quit until Jesus shows up. I think the best picture of this is the, the, the composer Beethoven. Anyone ever, ever hear of Beethoven? Many people don't know this, but he's actually a Christian. And often he would write songs, not for his fame and glory, but for the glory of God. And many people don't know this, by, the, by his mid-20s, his hearing was progressively getting worse and worse. To maybe his late 20s, early 30s, he was completely deaf. And yet, some of the best symphonies he ever wrote were after he was completely deaf. And this guy had a fortitude that just wouldn't quit. He was famously quoted by saying this once, I will take fate by the throat. Most people don't know this, but Beethoven, the last decade of his life, what he would do is he'd put his ear on the ground and he would compose music based on the vibrations because he wanted to bring God glory. No matter the obstacle, no matter what was in his way, he didn't quit. God is praising this church. doesn't matter what the persecution is, you don't quit. Then he goes, not only is it your orthopraxy, it's your orthodoxy. It's not only how you live, it's, it's what you believe. And in a culture of TikTok evangelists and I, Instagram false prophets, man, the fact that you're still in church is a good thing. You've not been led by the wind of doctrine. Everyone trying to tell you how to live. The, the Bible says some crazy things like my body, his choice. But our culture says my body, my choice. And, and Jesus wants to teach you what is biblical, not just what is common and what is celebrated. And he's praising this church because you have done hard work and you have good doctrine. But then he rebukes them. Then he says, but I got this one thing against you and it's so big. If you don't correct it, I'm going to turn your lampstand off. He says, you've lost that loving feeling. And although he's, Jesus is speaking this word to the apostle John, and then John rebukes this church. If Jesus was there, he would sing this song. So please don't judge me. Okay, I'm not going to sing. But there's going to be a point where I need you to sing with me. Jesus is saying this to the church of Ephesus. You never close your eyes anymore when I hear your prayers. And there's no tenderness like before when I hear your worship. You're trying hard not to show it, Ephesus, but baby, sing along with me. Baby, I know it. You've lost, oh, like three of you. Awesome. Thank you for making that awkward. Thank you. God bless you. Come, come on. Whoa. That's what Jesus is doing. Let me just tell you, you can't get this kind of preaching anywhere else, okay? And Jesus is rebuking this church. He's like, you used to love me. I used to be the most important thing in your life, but you've lost that, your love for me. If I went around this room privately asked you who your first crush was, you would remember. I remember when Pastor Yaz and I would date, we would like go on these. I remember just having the most pointless conversations. Oh my gosh, what's your favorite color? Oh, I love blue too. I'd look back and I'm like, who was I? I remember I, I would literally, I would be, I'd work at, this is when I was an engineer, I'd work like these 10, 11 hour days and I'd fill up gas and I'd be giggling at the gas station, <laughs> exhausted because I couldn't, when you're in love, you're crazy. And some of you, if you, when you run back when you first became a Christian, let's be honest, you were crazy about Jesus. You used to believe the Bible, you used to forgive people, you couldn't wait to serve and give and Something shifted. Something, something got lost. 
And for those of you that are new to Christianity, sometimes this is a part of Christianity that doesn't make sense. You think we're working for a blessing. We're working from one. Because what's so, so hard to understand in every other religion, you have to do good things before God loves you. And for many of us in this room, if we're honest, God loved us in our addiction, in our brokenness, in our... And it wasn't that he loved me if I cleaned up. He loved me before I did. He's the only one who saw every evil thing I ever did, and he still loved me. And it was his love in the pit that transformed me. I wrote down like this, everything we do at Bold is not for a blessing, it's from one. And Jesus is saying, man, you walk like a Christian, you talk like a Christian, but in your heart, I see it. You've lost your love for me. I remember this one time, this man comes to Jesus, Jesus, what's the most important thing to do? And Jesus said, you need to study your Bible. He said, no, you got to feed a hundred people, feel the homeless people and poverty. He said, the most important thing to do as a Christian is to love God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and might, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And sometimes we push back, what about my boss? What about my neighbor who doesn't vote the way I vote? What about my coworker who doesn't have the sexual orientation that I have? Can we get uncomfortable this morning? Jesus says, love them. He goes so far and says, I want you to love your enemies. The world may cancel you, but I want you to bless those who persecute you. If there's one thing that separates us from everyone in the world, it's not our good looks, even though some of you in this room are very good looking. Come on. It's not your work ethic because a lot of people hustle. It's our love. The world will cancel you if you don't agree with them. But what separates us is that we love our enemies. I wrote down like this. Maybe this will challenge you. It says, it doesn't matter how you live as a Christian. It doesn't matter how much Bible you know. If you don't have love, you've missed it. I want to illustrate this to you. I want to read you this verse. If I get Javi to come up. And this is 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men, someone say, or, or of angels. There's two types of tongues. You should know that. There's corporate tongues and private tongues. Sometimes people get it confused. When we're in a gathering and I start praying in tongues, you're like, uh, what are you saying? Someone needs to interpret. Because I'm speaking to men. But if there's another tongue where I speak to angels and God, that's private tongues. If I speak the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, someone say prophecy, which is to build someone else up. Tongues builds you up. Prophecy builds others up. I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains, anyone want that kind of faith? But have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, if I reverse tithe, I give away 90 and keep 10 and give my body to the hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Let me paraphrase what John is saying. Who cares if you know Jesus? Do you love like him? No one cares how much you know. Do you look like him? Let me illustrate this to you. I want to have Javi. Can we give it up for Javi real quick? Come on. For those of you that are new and don't know, this is like our version of Draymond Green. If you know anything about basketball, Draymond can play point. He can play center, power forward. This guy can play every musical instrument up here. Can we just give it up for Javi? Honors where honors do. But what I want to do is I want to preach like three different ways and see how much you understand. 
I'm going to preach like a black man for a second, Pentecostal black man. And I'm going to have him play and see how much you understand. Y'all ready? Go. Is anybody excited for church? You, you couldn't hear anything. Let me preach like an intellectual seminary professor. Go. The propitiation of sin and the atonement. How much of that did you hear? How about this? I'm going to pray in tongues and hope someone interprets. Let me do that. Wait, ready? It doesn't matter if you're a Baptist or a Pentecostal. It doesn't matter if you're flowy or you're eloquent with your words. If you don't have love, no one is listening. And that's why some of you can't reach your neighbors and friends because you're a clanging symbol. And your words may be powerful, but because you lack love, they don't even hear you. Theodore Roosevelt said like this. He said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Jesus saying, man, you've lost it. You walk like a Christian. You sound like a Christian, but you've missed the whole point. The why of Christianity is not activity and ministry. It's a love relationship with the living God. Come back. If I can say this prophetically, not for your tomorrow, but for your today. Some of you need to come back to Jesus. Stop playing church. Come back to the love of your life. Say this all the time. I pursue my number one with my number two. Look what Jesus says, or the apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember you before our God and Father. Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's this idea that one of the reasons why we serve in church is because we have faith for it. But if you, you will never endure for God if you don't love God continually. If you don't enjoy him. And Jesus is, is not just gentle Jesus, by the way. He's glorious Jesus. And before he blesses you, he's got to break you. He's got to break this religious pride that you have. This, this idea that if I just study theology, that's the only thing that matters. God is not a person to be studied. He's a, he's a person to be known. Some of you are just seeking knowledge, not seeking intimacy. He's got to break that, that judgment, that pride, and you've lost it. Someone say, I lost love. Well, how do we get it back? Three things that Jesus says. Number one is this on the screen. Remember, someone say, remember. Remember what life was like before you met him. Remember the addiction? Remember the depression? Remember you'd give your love to anyone who would just say you were beautiful and they never gave it back? Remember how you would drink your pain away? And it was only Jesus who gave you an everlasting love. There's this famous theologian, his name is Thomas Goodwin. He said he wrote this letter to his son because his son wrote to him saying, I'm losing my love for God. And look what Thomas Goodwin says. When I am threatened to becoming cold, someone say cold in my ministry. And when I felt Sabbath morning coming and my heart not filled with amazement at the grace of God, and when I was making ready to dispense the Lord's Supper, which is communion, by the way, do you know what I used to do? 
I used to turn up and turn down. Sounds like a rap song for a second. (laughs) Among the sins of my past life. And I always came down with a broken and contrite heart, ready to preach as it was preaching in the beginning, the forgiveness of sins. Can we just be honest? Some of you are more excited about fantasy football that's starting next month than what God's doing in your life today. Some of you are more interested in what you're going to buy at the mall next week than what God had to pay to buy you back. I remember I, I got saved at 24. And I was in LA as an engineer. And uh, I didn't have much. But in LA, the, the culture is very different. In LA, you, you had to wear a suit and tie. You had to wear like slacks, even though we're engineering in the Bay Area. Everyone wears jeans and t-shirts. It's a totally different culture. And so I would often have to like go dry clean my clothes. So as a 24-year-old, I'd come home and I remember I'd, I'd be in my closet. This was before Pastor Yaz threw all my clothes away when we got married. God bless her. She dresses me now, by the way. Come on. It's nice to have a, an amazing wife like that. Uh, and I remember I'd bring my clothes home and I I was a 24-year-old. I'm like, God, I, I can't give you anything. I'm not rich. I can't like build you a monument. I'm just getting emotional thinking about it. But I'd take my favorite shirt and I'd put it on the end. Say, God, this one's for you. No one else is going to know. But I'm going to give you my best. My question is, where do you do that in your life? Where you give God your best? Some of you give it to your work. Some of you give it to your body. Your Savior died for you. You've lost your first love. And Jesus is saying, remember what I had to pay to bring you back. Someone say, remember. Second word is repent. Someone say, repent. It's a big, scary word, but it literally just means to change your mind. I used to believe this and think this, so I'm going to walk in that direction. And then God changes my mind. Oh, that's, that's not true. That's true. And so when you change your mind, you change direction. It's not this big, scary word where God's trying to condemn you. He's trying to change your life. And the way he does that is by transforming you by the renewing of your mind. Christianity is not an outside behavior job. It's an inside transformation job. So he's saying repent. I wrote like this. Some of you are more interested. You're more focused on your macros that you eat than the verses that you read. Some of you love theology more than you love Jesus. Some of you love looking religious. You love playing church. And you, it's a checkbox. I went to church. I'm good. But in your heart, Jesus says, you can do all the hard work. You can do, have all the right answers. But if I'm not the love of your life, you've missed it. Last thing that Jesus says is, redo. Someone say, redo. Do the things you used to do. I remember when COVID hit, uh, prior to COVID, my wife and I would try to go on a date like every two weeks. And then COVID hit, you couldn't leave the house. We didn't go on a date for like months. And we had to redo that pattern where we would go out 
So the challenge that Jesus is saying is, what did you used to do when you first came to me? Remember when you wake up early and before going on Instagram, you'd pray for me for five minutes? Some of you, you love to run and you turn those runs into prayer runs. Some of you, before you would Netflix and chill with your wife, you used to spend some time with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, it's, it's not about activity. It's about reading a book. It's about going back and doing the thing you used to do. If I can use this analogy of a marriage, listen, just because I married my wife doesn't mean I stopped dating her. If I can use that analogy, just because you're married to Jesus doesn't mean you stop dating him. And Jesus is saying this not to individual Christians. He's saying this to the church. He's saying, don't you realize the world is watching? But they can't hear you because you're a clanging symbol. I wrote like this. If the church loses love, the church loses its light. I want to pray for you. If you can bow your heads and close your eyes. God, I pray for this room. I pray for every Christian who can hear the sound of my voice. God, it doesn't matter who we are or how long we've been in church, whether it's been a day, a year, or 20. God, you give the same prophetic call, the same prophetic unction. You want us to be the love of your life. You want us to be the most important thing in, in the world. And you challenge us, God. You say, you, this one thing I hold against you, you've lost your first love. And between you and Jesus right now, for those of you that are Christian, this is an opportunity just to remember where you were before Jesus. To repent. Say, God, I, I'm sorry. I've had other things more important than you. And then in your heart, just tell him, God, I want to do those things I used to do. I want to pray in the mornings again. I miss our prayer walks, God. I remember I used to serve you, God. And I don't do it anymore. I used to give so freely. Now I withhold. There are others of you in this room. Let's be honest. You, you've never knew that Jesus wasn't just gentle Jesus. You've never known he's also a glorious Jesus. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the good news is, is Jesus died on a sin for our, died on a cross for our sins, but he didn't stay dead. He resurrected three days later, conquering death, Satan, and hell proving his sacrifice was good. And salvation is just simply knowing him. And he longs to know you. He longs to be in a relationship with you. You're his kid. And Jesus leaves the 99 sheep to go after the one. And he's the one that drew you to this church. And the living God wants a relationship with you. With every eye closed and every head bowed. That's you. You want to start a relationship with the living God. You want to give him your sin and repent and come back to him. I want to count to three. I want you to shoot your hand up. One, two, three. Just shoot your hand up. That's you this morning. Amen. 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 I see your hands in the back on the side. The three or four of you that raise your hand, you just I want everyone in the room to pray this prayer with me. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven for me. You're glorious, God. You're the Alpha and the Omega. And you're the only one who lived a sinless, perfect life. And you did it so that you can pay for my sin. I repent, God. 
I apologize for my sin. I give it to you. Give me new life. Give me your salvation. As much as I understand now, I want to walk with you all the days of my life. And if you believe that, everybody said, come on, everybody said, can we give it up for the hands that went up? Hey, thank you again for listening to today's message. If you found today's sermon encouraging, inspiring, would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that's coming. See you next time.